Well, you know, if everybody knew everyone else's problems, you know, if we all knew each other's hang-ups and fears and struggles and failures and still knowing all of that, we made the decision to love one another anyway. Meaning you're going to love other people no matter how messed up they are and all those other people are going to love you back no matter how messed up you are. First of all, we would probably all understand grace, what God has actually done for us in a much deeper way than many of us probably do now. Secondly, we would all probably be a lot more humble than most people are today. And thirdly, we would all probably be much closer to one another as the family of God, even more than we are now, because the strongest and healthiest relationships are always between people who uh, mutually understand the grace that's been afforded to them, which causes us to be humble toward each other and far more inclined to affirm one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. The truth is, that's how it's supposed to be in the church, right? Because that's what Jesus did for us. Knowing all of our sin and all of our struggles and all of our failures, he chose to love us anyway. The only way we can do that for each other is by putting <clears throat> others before ourselves. And yet that isn't, uh, that isn't our nature, is it? As human beings, we're born focused on ourselves. Right? We naturally think about what we want more than what others want. We, we intuitively take care of ourselves first because that's what comes naturally to us. Which means in order for that to change, then our nature, what comes naturally to us actually has to change as well, which is where Jesus comes in, right? Because when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when he does his work of salvation and redemption in your life, you're given a new nature, the old man dies. The new man comes alive. The Apostle Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17. Of course, we know that doesn't mean that we, that we no longer have to consciously choose to put others first every day. Right? We certainly still do have to make that choice because we haven't yet been perfected. We we still have to die to ourselves every day, as Jesus points out in Luke 9.23, which means we choose to die to our sin nature every day. And yet in Christ, because we're in Christ, we now have the ability to actually do that, which also means we now have the ability to truly love others more than we love ourselves because we have the Spirit of Christ now living inside of us. We're a new creation with a new nature which allows us to love in ways we never could before. But again, uh, even as Christians, we still, we still have to make that choice. Right? Every single day, we have to make the choice to love other people more than we love ourselves, which means, and, and this is the key to all of this, Loving others more than we love ourselves means being fixated on the source of that love, Jesus Christ. Because, listen, when he's the first priority in your life, then putting others before yourself actually becomes quite natural. Which also means if you're not loving others more than you love yourself, then Jesus Christ is not the first priority in your life. Simply not. You can declare uh, your allegiance to him, your commitment to him, your faith in him all you want to. That's great. But listen, if you're not putting others in your life before yourself, then he is unequivocally 
not the most important person in your life. And so when I, when I uh, find myself, for instance, not putting someone else first in my own life, maybe a friend or even a family member, the wrong question for me to ask myself is, you know, what is it about that person that is making me not put them first in my life right now? That may be the question that we naturally ask ourselves in that situation, but it is in fact the wrong question for us to ask. On the contrary, the right question is, why am I not putting Jesus Christ first in my life right now? Because if I was, then I would be preferring that friend or that family member over myself. And by the way, uh, this is a big part of what it means to die to ourselves, which Jesus and the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, at the very least, all said that we must do in order to follow Jesus Christ, because loving others more than we love ourselves means loving Jesus more than we love ourselves. So, so we die to all of the desires in our lives which are not found in Him. That's a big part of, of what loving Jesus more than we love ourselves actually looks like practically in our lives. And there's, a, <clears throat> there's this misnomer in our culture that says you cannot love others uh, if you don't first love yourself. I hear that all the time. You cannot love other people if you don't first love yourself. That, that is actually antithetical to everything that Jesus taught. The truth of the matter is you cannot truly love others if you don't first love Jesus more than anything or anyone else in your life, including and most of all, yourself. That's the key. This is the linchpin that holds the family of God together. As we talked about last week, our fidelity to and our unity in Christ is what binds us together and it is what every other aspect of this life as members of the family of God naturally flows out of, which is what the family of God in our story happened to be learning on their journey through this life as well, which we'll see as we continue our sermon series working our way through uh, the book of Joshua. And so today we're going to finish chapter 22, which we started last week as the people of God have now ended their conquest of Canaan and they're going their separate ways, especially uh, these two and a half tribes that were promised land by Moses earlier on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And so just some quick backstory here. Now that the conquest has ended, Joshua sends these Transjordanian tribes or Eastern tribes on their way home and he blesses them greatly and he sends them off and everything seems well. Everybody's happy until those Eastern tribes get to the Jordan River and just before they cross over to the Eastern side of the river, they stop and build an altar of imposing size, according to verse 10. And as soon as the rest of the people of Israel hear about it, they gather together to make war to make war against the two and a half tribes they just sent off and blessed because it was strictly forbidden by God back in Leviticus chapter 17 verses 8 and 9 for the people of God to make sacrifices or offerings to him or any other God anywhere other than the tabernacle and the tabernacle was currently residing in Shiloh over on the western side of the Jordan with the rest of Israel. And so the building of this altar by the eastern tribes appeared to the western tribes to be a turning away 
from the law of God. It looked to them like it was a direct affront, apostasy, a, a direct attack on the purity of God's word and on the purity of his worship. And because the law in uh, Deuteronomy 13, 12 through 15, instructed God's people to strike down with the sword all inhabitants of any town uh, who were to turn away from God, the western tribes are now preparing for all-out war, according to God's word, against the eastern tribes. You understand it's not because they now all of a sudden hated the eastern tribes. These were their friends, their brothers. But it's because of their great love for and devotion to God first that they're preparing for war. And yet, before going to war, the western tribes send a delegation of men to the eastern tribes, led by the high priest's son, a man named Phineas, to first clarify what exactly was going on and then to give the eastern tribes an opportunity to make things right with God before the western tribes attacked them for what seemed to be apostasy, this a total abandonment of their faith. Okay, so uh, that's a really fast, because of time, a really abbreviated account of the story from last week. If you missed it, by the way, uh, and you want to get the whole story, you can find that sermon on our mobile app or our YouTube channel or our website as well. And that'll really help you understand all of this a lot better because last week we outlined the first three imperatives in uh, this chapter uh, that had to be manifested in the lives of the people of God if they were going to remain unified in a very difficult situation because this was... This situation here in our story was a, a potentially pivotal moment for them. It turned out, as we'll see, to be a colossal misunderstanding that could have been much worse. But because they were committed to God first, they were able in the end to put each other first, which had a profound bearing on how they end up dealing with one another in this you know, potentially disastrous misunderstanding. So today, in the last half of the chapter... We not only find the resolution to this uh, really incredibly tense standoff, but we're going to find three more imperatives. There'll be points four through six in our outline because we did one through three last week, which the family of God then, uh, and by the way, the family of God today, must have working among us in our lives if we are to remain unified and effective in becoming who God has created us to become and effective in doing what he's created us to, to do together as his church. So, so let's jump back into the chapter where we left off last 